So my mother grew up in Winooski. She was actually born in the house that her father helped to build. But the place where she heard these stories, the venue for that was her grandparents' house, which was dans les flats. That's just down the hill, more near the river. And so Pepe would be after like a soiree or some kind of a gathering. Pepe would sit by the fire and he'd take out his pipe and they, they would know. That was like a signal. They'd all gather around and say, Pepe raconte une histoire. And he'd say, no, no. Vous avez déjà entendu toutes mes histoires. So you've heard all my stories, and they, they would have to cajole him, and you know, the mémé would be voyant vieux, and he'd say, so the story I'm going to tell you, it's not really a story. It's a real fact, and it happened to someone in our family. C'est arrivé par chez nous. Welcome to Vermont Untapped, a podcast from the Vermont Folklife Center that explores the state through the voices of its own residents. I'm Mary Wesley. In this month's episode, we sit down with Kim Chase, a Franco-American musician, teacher, writer, and storyteller. Kim and her mother Claire have a long connection to the Folklife Center, and we reached out to her asking if she would share some of her family's stories for Halloween. So, on a chilly October evening, Kim invited VFC staff, some friends, and neighbors to her home in Essex Junction to share food and tell us some of her family's spookiest stories. Of course, we brought an audio recorder. After enjoying homemade tortière, a hearty Quebec-style meat pie, Kim settled in her rocking chair and recounted some history and tales passed down through her family for generations. As you heard in the intro, Kim's mother, Claire Chase, learned these stories from her Pepe and then passed them on to Kim and her sisters. Now it's our turn to hear them. Join me and Andy, Tolly, Ellen, and Joe around Kim's rocking chair. And don't be too scared. In this story, and all of these took place back in Canada, of course, right? Because that's where everything happened. And um, <laughs> this is a story that Pepe told as well. And again, it was a farming town. That's the backdrop of everything. So in this particular town, there were two places that everybody saw each other every week, and that was at church and at the general store. And there was a man who ran the general store who was the kind of person who, if you wanted everybody to know something, you could tell him a secret and ask him not to share it with anybody. He kind of made it his business to know everybody else's business. He wasn't a bad guy. He was a good guy, but he was just one of those people. He's kind of stuck to the store. People come to him, and they would get their mail there, and they'd get some of their dry goods there and stuff they couldn't grow, and they sold fabric for women who were sewing and maybe the hardware that people couldn't make themselves. And in this particular town, there was a farm up on the hill that had formerly been very prosperous, but the farmer and his wife had died without having any children. And there was no one to leave the farm to. And so the fields lay fallow and the house and the other buildings, the barns and and sheds were beginning to fall into disrepair. And so you know how when somebody's owned a house for a long time, like I still go by your house, Ellen, and I'm like, that's Ellen's house. I mean, it's been a few decades, but I will always think of that as your house. Even if several other families have lived there, people tend to call it whichever was the most meaningful so we'll call it chez les, les Bergeron, like the old Bergeron place. So people would say, you know, it's a shame that no one has bought the place because it was such a prosperous farm in its day. But people went about their business because not like people had the money to buy a place. 
One day, someone in town noticed that there was some activity up on the hill. They could see there was a, a wagon and some horses. This man went into the shop and told the shopkeeper, looks like somebody bought the old Bergeron place. And so the shopkeeper said, oh, I wonder who that is. You, you think we would have heard that? Because you'd hear things in church, hear things in the, in the shop. One day, a man came into town that no one had ever seen before. He was a big man with a big, thick, black beard, a nice-looking man, had a horse and wagon, and he came into the shop. He made some purchases, and the shopkeeper said, so are you the one who bought the old Bergeron place? And he said, yes, I have, and I, I intend to get the farm going again. And he said, I'm, I'm very excited, and the shopkeeper said, well, congratulations. It's about time someone got that going. So the stranger made his purchases and left, and then, of course, the shopkeeper told everybody. The man said his name was Abraham. So one day... Not too long after that, the stranger came into town, and sitting next to him in the wagon was a beautiful young woman. And when the stranger came in, when Abraham came into the shop, this young woman stayed out in the wagon, and the shopkeeper said, well, who's that lovely young lady out there on the wagon with you? And the stranger said, well, I've just gotten married. The shopkeeper said, I didn't hear any church bells. And he said, no, no, we were married in the town that my new wife comes from. And the shopkeeper said, well, why don't you invite her in? She'll get to know the other ladies. And Abraham said, no, 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 she's very timid. She's really, she's from a very small village and she's very timid and she'll come in in time, but she's not ready to right now. And so the shopkeeper congratulated him and he made his purchases and went back up the hill. And so every week or so he would come into town and his young bride would stay out on the wagon and you know, after a few weeks, the shopkeeper said, well, now, come on, she must be used to things by now. Why don't you bring her in? And Abraham said, I asked, but she's just too shy. And so one day, Abraham came into town, and there was no young woman sitting next to him in the wagon. So the shopkeeper said, well, where, where's that young bride of yours? And Abraham said, well, she was missing her mother and her family, so she's gone back to visit. The shopkeeper said, oh, they all go through that. These young women are so silly. She'll be back soon enough. Now that she's mistress of her own home now, she's going to get sick of her family pretty soon. She'll be back sooner than you think. Another week went by, a couple more weeks, and still when Abraham came into town, his new wife was not there. And so the shopkeeper said, well, now surely your wife has come back by now. She can't still be visiting her family, is she? I mean, she's got things to do here, doesn't she? And Abraham looked very downcast. He looked down at his feet and he said, no. He said, while she was visiting her family, there was a terrible plague that struck the village. And he said, I've just come from burying her with her family. Almost everyone in the village was struck by this disease. And the shopkeeper was so shocked, he offered his condolences, but he was almost speechless, which was unusual for him. So Abraham silently made his purchases and went back up the hill. Of course, the shopkeeper, even though he felt bad for Abraham, he still had to share the news, and people were clucking. And some people in town felt that Abraham was a little standoffish and said, he's a strange man. And others said that people had no right to judge him, especially at a time when he's just lost his his wife. So a couple of weeks went by, and Abraham would come in and looking downcast. And then one day he came into town, and there was a, a young woman sitting next to him in the wagon, incredibly beautiful. And back then, even in my mom's time, I think, I think this is true, if you lost your husband or wife, you didn't get married for a year. 
they'd hang a crepe on the door to let people know that someone had died. It was black for a man, purple for a woman, and white for a child because there were you know, no telephones and no Facebook. And so that's how people would know that someone had died. And so a woman for a year, of course, she would wear black and usually a, a veil, but she could not be in the company by herself with another man who was not related to her for a year, and then same with a man. And that was very standard. So when the shopkeeper saw that the Abraham was accompanied by this beautiful young woman, he said, oh, is that your sister I see out there? And Abraham looked somewhat abashed, and he said, no. He said, I, I was so lonely up there on the hill that I've taken a new wife. And the shopkeeper could not really offer him sincere congratulations, but he did his best. Of course, as soon as Abraham left, the shopkeeper told everybody else that came into the shop about this, and, and that was a huge scandal. To me, it would have been like, if say there's two families and they're neighbors, but they also do lots of things together, and it seems like everybody just gets along really well, and then someone finds out that the people who aren't married to each other are having an affair. That's what this was like. But, you know, people have to live with each other and accept who they are. So when Abraham would come into town, his new wife would stay out in the wagon. And again, the shopkeeper tried to get him to bring her in to meet the other people. And Abraham would decline for her as he had his first wife. So the weeks went by and, and the same thing would happen. And then one day, Abraham came into town and there was no young woman sitting next to him in the wagon. And so the shopkeeper said, well, where's your pretty young wife today? Abraham said, oh, well, well, she's with child and she's feeling poorly right now. Now this, the shopkeeper could really congratulate him on. He said, oh, the sickness will go away after a while. You know, she'll be right as rain. She'll be in here buying fabric to make baby clothes and talking with all the other women, you know, about their babies and always their babies. And so Abraham made his purchases and he left and Several weeks went by, and each time he came into town, he was by himself. And so one day the shopkeeper said, well, now, how is your wife? She must be feeling better by now. And Abraham looked down, and he said, no. He said, the child came too soon. My wife perished with my child in childbirth. And so the shopkeeper was dumbfounded. He offered his condolences, but he was really so shocked at this. It hadn't been that long. It hadn't been a year since this man's first wife had died. And now his second wife had passed away and he did his best to console or to offer his condolences and Abraham left. At this point, people in town were saying, oh, this poor man, he's like, he's living his hell on earth. And someone else said, well, maybe if he saw fit to show up in church once in a while, God would see fit to spare him. And someone else said that that was a very unchristian thing to say. It was very uncharitable. And then people continued to bicker back and forth. I need to interrupt my story here to tell you that the story I'm telling you right now was actually told at a town meeting. And the town meeting is not usually a place to tell stories, as, as you probably all know. It's like where you figure out who's going to be the fence viewer, figure out how much money to plow the roads and how much you're going to pay for the schools. But in this particular town meeting, this story was being told. It was being told by a, a woman who was telling the story to the people of the village. I will return to the story now. Some weeks went by, and Abraham would come in and didn't talk much to anyone, uh, by himself. And then one day he came into town with a young woman sitting next to him. This one more, even more beautiful than, than the first two. So the shopkeeper, knowing this man's ways, said, 
kind of gruffly, I see you got yourself a new wife. And Abraham said, um, yes, the farm is really starting to get going and I, I really need the help. And the shopkeeper said, you know, some people just get hired hands. But again, that's the kind of person he was. So when Abraham would come into town, the young woman would stay out in the wagon and the shopkeeper didn't bother inviting her in because he knew Abraham would decline for her as well. And the weeks went by and by now it's getting cold. It's late fall. And one day Abraham came into town and there was no young woman sitting next to him in the wagon. And so the shopkeeper said, well, where's your wife today? And Abraham said, oh, well, things are getting so busy at the farm. She needs to just stay behind and work because we're, we're so busy. And so the shopkeeper said, hmm, you know, with farmers, most of the time it sort of slows down in the winter, right? So the shopkeeper thought that was sort of a strange thing to say. And a week or two more went by and the shopkeeper was talking to other people. And he said, you know, I think we need to I think something something strange is going on up there on the hill, and other people agreed with him. And so they actually called a meeting, and they actually held a meeting right in the general store, and people said, he's a strange man, there's something off about him, and you know, other people were speculating, like, yeah, he has had a tragic life, but maybe if he showed up in church, maybe if he prayed a little bit, God would spare him. And other people thought that was very, you know, judgmental. And they went back and forth and back and forth. And finally, one woman stood up. I, for one, think that we haven't been the Christians we pretend to be. When that poor man brought his first wife and we let him be standoffish and we didn't extend our welcome to her. And when the second wife was with child, we didn't go to her. We let her stay out there in the wagon because he said she was too timid and we said we didn't want to invade their privacy. But if someone else here were expecting, we would all get together and share baby clothes and help them with preparations. And she said, and now maybe maybe there's something wrong with this third wife. She said, I, for one, I'm going to leave you to your idle speculation. I'm going to go home. I'm going to bake some pies and some breads and some cakes and I'm going to go up there to the hill tomorrow. I'm going to welcome this young woman as I should have welcomed the first two, and I'm going to welcome Abraham as well. And she said, now who will go with me? Not one person raised a hand. And then she said, well, in that case, I leave you to your idle speculation. So the next morning, with a basket heavily laden with baked goods, she made her way up the hill. And she was not a young woman, but she steadily made her way up the hill, you know, with this heavy basket. And as she approached the house, she thought, wow, this man has made a lot of really tremendous improvements because she had played there as a child. And so it, it did not very much resemble the house that she had played in. She could see the general outline, but she was kind of astonished that it somehow looked so much bigger and more imposing than when she had played there as a child. And so she made her way, you know, a little bit breathlessly, one of the first improvements she noticed was a huge mahogany door that was ornately carved and really kind of astonishing. She thought, well, this, this man is a farmer just like the rest of us. How can he possibly afford such a wonderful door? And she thought, well, he's farming the same land the rest of us are. Maybe he's already rich, but then why would he be a farmer? And so she made her way and she grasped a big brass knocker and she knocked firmly three times. And she waited a moment, and someone came to the door, 
by his appearance, she thought maybe he was a servant because she had seen pictures in books, but he seemed to be in a uniform. And so he opened the door and he greeted her and and she said, I've come to call upon the mistress of the house. And she was not, not a shy person, this woman. And the servant said, oh, no, I'm afraid she can't. She's, she's indisposed right now. And the woman said, well, in that case, I would like to visit with the master of the house. And the servant said, oh, he's, he's far too busy. He's far, far, far too busy. And the woman said, you tell your master that I have not come all the way up this hill with this heavy basket full of baked goods only to be turned away. And so the servant hesitated a moment, but somewhat reluctantly, he invited her into the foyer. He went off to get the master of the house, Abraham. And so the first thing she noticed when she walked into the foyer was that it was deep, deep crimson carpeting, so thick that she felt that she sunk in up to her ankles. And and there was a great chandelier hanging. And this is just the foyer, right? Crystal chandelier. And on the walls were brocade fabric. And she thought, my goodness, how is it possible that this man can afford such things? She paused a couple of moments and she thought, well, as long as I'm here, I might as well go around a little bit. And as I said, she was not a timid person. And She couldn't believe the dimensions of the house because, you know, she had played there as a child and it seemed like once she entered as though the the house was mysteriously bigger. So she crept quietly to the next room, which appeared to be a dining room because there in the middle of the room was a great, again, mahogany table that sat dozens of people and there were three great chandeliers hanging over the table, each one even more elegant than the one in the foyer, many, many candles in each. And the carpeting was a deep vermilion, and she felt that it was so deep that she sunk in even deeper, halfway up her calves. And she thought, my goodness, how can this man afford this? And on the windows were velvet draperies that she could not even have imagined in her wildest dreams. And so she thought, well, maybe I have a chance to see a little bit more while I'm here. And so she quietly crept to the next room and And there in the middle of the room was a great four-poster canopy bed. So she thought it must be the bedroom. And again, crystal chandeliers and beautiful brass candelabra. And instead of wallpaper, it was like a brocaded fabric, silk and brocade. And and again, the, the velvet draperies. And she just was astonished at the opulence of the room. And as she stood there in awe, she heard a noise. And she realized to her dismay that Either the servant was returning or it was Abraham himself, and they were going to discover her basically snooping. And so there was a a woman's wardrobe that was nearby, so she quickly crept into the wardrobe. I don't know what her plan was, but she brought the door almost, almost closed. But by the light, she could see that it was a woman's wardrobe because there were beautiful dresses of silk dripping with lace and encrusted with jewels. And she thought, well, he certainly treats his his wives well because they've got all these beautiful clothes or he's purchased them for one of them at least. And she heard another noise and she crept back into the shadows. And as she did, she felt something brush her shoulder. So now I have to interrupt my story again. So as I told you before, this story is being told at a gathering. And so at this gathering, at this point in the story, a man in the audience, tall man with a great black beard, so black it almost shone blue, stood up. 
he was visibly perspiring. And the woman who was telling the story said, sit, my story is almost at its close, sit. And the two people sitting on either side of him guided him back to his seat. So the woman continued with her story and she said, this woman felt, in the story, felt something brush her shoulder. And at this point in the story, she stood again. She said, in fact, this is not a story I'm telling you. She said, I, I am the woman who went up the hill. I am the woman who knocked on the door. I am the woman who crept into the house. And she said, and I am the one who was hiding in the wardrobe. And she said, when I felt the object brush my shoulder, I bent down to retrieve it. And in the dim light from the crack in the door, I could see that it was a woman's wedding ring and that my hand was dripping with blood and it bears the initials of Abraham and that I had not been walking through deep carpeting, so deep I felt that I sunk in up to my knees, but actually rooms of blood. And she pointed to him and she said, Abraham, in the name of the Lord, I accuse you of the murder of your three wives. People in town shackled him, and they all went up to the house on the hill, and they discovered not just three, but many, many other cadavers of other women he had killed. And he was hanged at dawn the next morning. <laughs> what Joe says there at the end of this thrilling tale, ça donne des frissons means in English, that gave me chills. And this story is chilling on many levels, not only the building's suspense throughout, but also its ghastly conclusion. When telling these old stories today, Kim is really thoughtful in looking beyond the events in the narrative to the broader purpose or message they might hold. It is a story of Bluebeard, which I have read, but the detail that was remarkable was that it's a story within a story. It's Abraham and the velour jusqu'au genou, so Abraham and the velvet up to your knees, because she's walking through all this blood. What I always ask my students, this is middle school, what would we call this? What would we call him in today's terms? And they said serial killer. I'm like, okay. Occasionally some kid would say like misogynist, and I'd be like, good word, you know? And, and then, you know, I'd say, do you think this happened? They debated the details, but people didn't have newspapers, right? So you had like the troubadour. And so many, many of the songs, the troubadour song were very creepy and full of violent crimes. Myself, I am certain that there was a person. And then people were like, why was he rich, you know? I think, talk about generational poverty, I mean, my grandmother would say, there's no shame in being poor, but there's no excuse for being dirty. I've actually published a story called Dirt, where I'm like, you know what, if according to the Bible, a rich man going through the eye of the needle, we would be so squeaky clean, we would just slip right through, because we're not encumbered with any riches. It was almost like, like this kind of pride in being poor, because... Well, we haven't made any pacts with the devil, obviously, you know, so that was almost like a virtue. So so associating sins with wealth, or wealth with sins, it would be the better way to say it. In a more modern sense, I would ask my kids, like, do you know any people that are in abusive relationships where they might be in danger? And what signs could you recognize in the story that these young women were in danger? Social isolation, right? Making excuses, and each one seems almost imprisoned 
like she doesn't get to interact. And people really do those things. They make sure that the people they're abusing do not have access to support. And it's very methodical and it's extremely effective. Kim told us lots of stories during the evening, and they were all told from memory. It was amazing to hear them firsthand and to understand how they were passed down in Kim's family. Oh, the occasions would be like, my mom told them, maybe a few times she told them at holidays, but in my memory, it would be when the lights went out. Or if you were stuck somewhere, that's just what you did. I know she did tell them when we had like a Girl Scout camping trip, but mostly I can think of, you know, it would be like a Friday night and if the lights weren't out, we would turn them off and have a candle and popcorn and like hot chocolate or something. And when she told stories, it's like she left her body and she would tell stories about family events that happened and it was always like she left her body. I know she told me the stories perhaps more than my sisters because I had a lot of ear infections. So I was sick a lot. So in the middle of the night, I had ear infections. I would have to get up because they were super painful. And she would take hot sweet oil. Well, she would heat the sweet oil and she would test it here on the inside. Then she would put my head on her lap and it was like so awful, but it would burst the abscess. And then she would just tell me stories to soothe me back to sleep. So my sister's like, why didn't mom tell you that? It took me a long time to figure out like, why did I hear so many stories that they didn't hear? Because she spent so many middle of the night or time at the hospital telling me these stories. And so I think that's why they took more with me. In this episode, we'll share one more story from our evening with Kim. If you want to hear more stories, you can visit the Vermont Untapped show notes at www.vtfolklife.org untapped. Okay, one last story. For Kim, the spookiest stories are those with direct ties to her family. This next one is unique in her repertoire because, unlike most of her family tales, it was told by her great-grandmother. According to Kim, to Mei Bodwin, the difference between truth and lies was black and white. So when Pepe told his tales, Mei expressed her tacit disapproval, sometimes silently, sometimes with a muttered, voyons vieux. Come on now, dear. What makes this story different? Well, if Mei Bodwin told it, you know it's true. So Mei only told one story, and this is it. So... This happened back in Canada during Memmade's lifetime. There was a farmer and his wife who had no children, very prosperous farm, a lot of hired hands, but the farmer's wife needed to have somebody to help her because she's got to feed these hired hands. She's got to do the cooking. The, usually women took care of the chickens and they put up all the food. They have a kitchen garden. Oftentimes they would do weaving. They're doing all the sewing. So she needed help. And also, this is a misunderstanding about some French-Canadian families. If you had a big, big family, and there was another family that didn't have any children, it was very common to kind of like lend out your children. And it was not considered cruelty. It's not like your children were enslaved. They're going to be fed, and they're going to come home on the weekends. And so this was very common. And so they had a young girl from a big, very poor family who would work with them. And they adored this girl. She worked very, very hard. And they felt like she was their daughter. They missed her on the weekends when she would go home. But when she was, I think, about 13, 
she contracted an illness and she died. And the farmer and his wife were devastated. It was like they had lost their own child. But life goes on, right? You don't get to take a break from the farm. And so they hired a new girl. And it was this second girl who was my great-grandmother's friend. So Meme Baudouin's friend when she was young. Her name was Jeanette. First day that she was there at the farm, the farmer's wife showed her all of her duties, everything she had to do. She brought her to the, the salon, it was like a living room, a formal living room, and there was a fireplace and there was a, a mantle and there was also a hearth. And the candles that they burnt were like tallow. When they slaughtered the pigs, they would use the fat to make candles. And so they burned well, but they would drop on the hearth. And then that's a problem because if there's a spark from the fire, that will light up very quickly. And so she said to Jeanette, okay, before you go to bed, the last thing you need to do is you need to clean the hearth of any of the candle drippings. And so Jeanette said, oui, madame. The farm woman watched her with some of her duties. You could see that she was a very good worker, very thorough, very conscientious. The next morning when she rose, the farmer's wife seemed a little bit perturbed. And she said, Jeanette, come here, please. And so Jeanette said, oui, madame. And she brought her to the salon and she said to her, you know, I'm sure you were tired. It was your first day and you're unfamiliar with the house, but you didn't clean up the tallow drippings on the hearth. And Jeanette went white. And to question an adult would have been very, very disrespectful because it's like you're calling them a liar. And so she just said, oui, madame, after that, and she didn't say anything. And she went about her duties as the day before. And then the next morning when she rose, the farmer's wife called her again. And this time she seemed really frustrated, but really angry. She said, Jeanette, viens ici. And Jeanette said, oui, madame. And she brought her to the salon. She said, look again. Now, you did such a good job with all of your other duties yesterday as the day before. But again, you have neglected to clean the hearth. And at this time, Jeanette burst into tears. Madame, je, je l'ai fait, je l'ai fait. I, I did it. I did do it. And so the farmer's wife was stern, but she was a kind-hearted person. She could see that there was something amiss here because someone who performs all of her other tasks so thoroughly and conscientiously would not make this mistake twice. And obviously she was upset. So she told her, ça va, don't worry, I'll figure out what it is. So the farmer's wife thought, well, there's someone coming into my house at night and burning candles at the hearth. And that's a strange thing because there were no hotels back then, not where they are, and there's big distances between farms and villages. And so what would happen is, is if somebody was traveling, they would knock on your door and they would say, can I sleep in the barn? And it was very common for people to have a stranger just stay at your house and do chores the next morning for their meal, basically but people didn't sneak into somebody's house. And so she was upset, but she was also a little worried. So she thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch tonight as Jeanette is cleaning the hearth. And so she did that. She watched and she thought, well, okay, now at least I know it's done. And yet the next morning when the farm woman got up, she saw there was tallow. So now she's certain that someone's coming into her house. She thought, all right, tonight I have to stay up. I have to stay up and I have to sit somewhere where no one will see me and find out who's coming into my house. So that night again, she watched Jeanette clean the hearth. She said, bonne nuit. And she sat in her rocking chair. She had some knitting to do so she could keep herself awake. She watched and she waited. 
but farm life is a hard life. And so she awoke the next morning. She was slumped in her rocking chair. And again, there was tallow on the hearth. And so now she was alarmed because she realized as she's right there in the living room, someone is coming into the salon and burning candles. So she thought, well, tonight I'm going to have to stand up. I can't sit down because I'll fall asleep. So she didn't say anything about this to her husband or to Jeanette. And so that evening, she stood in the shadows of the salon. She watched as Jeanette cleaned and, and sent her to bed. And she stood in the shadows and she felt herself getting drowsy a couple of times, pinched herself to wake herself up. And around midnight or sometime thereafter, she thought she saw some kind of a light. And she thought, well, what is this? And she thought that it seemed as though we were moving across the room. And she drew closer, and am I sleeping? She pinched herself again to make sure she was awake. And as she drew closer, she thought she recognized the face of the girl who had been her first servant. And she thought, this is crazy. She said, Marie, Marie, c'est toi? And she heard a very faint voice say, Oui, madame, c'est moi. She said, but this is impossible. I was at your grave. I, I saw them bury you. We were heartbroken. How is it that you're that you're here? And Marie said, Oui, madame, c'est vrai. It's true that I am deceased, but my soul is not at rest. The farm woman said, But your soul is not at rest. How can that possibly be? They gave you the last rites. No one was ever a sweeter, kinder, more innocent person than you. How could your soul possibly not be at rest? And Marie said, it's true that I tried to be a good person and I tried to work hard. I tried to be honest. My soul is not at rest because there is one crime I committed and for that I must pay. And the, and the farm woman said, crime? What possible crime could you have committed? And Marie said, well, each night when I would clean the hearth and you told me to take the candle stubs away, I didn't throw the candle stubs away. I... I I took them home because my family was so poor that they could not even afford candles. And so in order for my mother to have a few more minutes to be able to work at night, I stole those candle stubs so that we would have more light in the evening. And for each candle stub I took from you, I am condemned to come to your home and burn a candle stub until I have repaid my debt. And the farm woman said, oh, Mari, for all the years that you were so good to us, you worked so hard, and you were so good to your family, I give those candlesticks to you as a gift. Now go and be at peace. She disappeared, and there was never any more candlesticks at the hearth. Again, if you want to learn more about Kim's family and hear some more of her stories, check out the show notes for this episode at www.vtfolklife.org untapped. We're almost done with season one of this, our debut season of Vermont Untapped. We'll release one more episode before the end of the year and then return with season two in early 2020. You can always find us at Vermont Folk Life on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We always need your help to spread the word. Tell a friend to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes. It really does the trick. This fall, we're lucky to have a wonderful intern working with us on Vermont Untapped. A big thank you to Tali Galenian, who edited this episode and is helping us out in a myriad of ways. 
From all of us at the VFC, we wish you a happy fall and a happy Halloween. Halloween.